Welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and my guest on today's show is Dr. Jeff Preluck. Dr. Jeff is a semi-retired dentist from the Atlanta area, and we discuss his transition from clinical dentistry after 38 years of owning a private practice. Some of the topics we discuss, how Dr. Preluck handled both the emotional and financial components of exiting his practice, why he still continues to practice clinically part-time, and how he's putting his communication skills to work in a completely different industry than dentistry, plus much more. As a reminder, our affiliated firm, Dentist Exit Planning, helps dentists like Dr. Jeff that are near or already in clinical retirement. Specifically, we help dentists not get killed in taxes and transition from clinical and owner income to instead living off of assets. If you are interested in financial guidance on your exit from clinical, schedule an initial consultation with us on our website, which is DentistExit.com. There is no obligation. That website again, DentistExit.com. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jeff Preluck. All right, Dr. Jeff Preluck, welcome to Dentists, Puns, and Money. I am excited to hear your story, and thank you for joining me. Sean, thank you for having me. My favorite place to start is just with some background for the audience on your journey. Could you share a little bit about your career in dentistry and sort of where you are now at this current point of your life? Sure. Graduated dental school. I was entrepreneurial, so I taught at Emory right after graduation for about a year, did a residency there, and then opened my own practice, again, as an entrepreneur. I call it more guts than brains, but I went ahead and did it and uh, started my practice, had an empty reception area for for quite a while, but uh, eventually caught on, you know, just through word of mouth and hopefully made enough patients happy that I practiced, my entire practice, my career was about 38 years in my private practice. I practiced for about 10 years and was becoming disenchanted. I thought there has to be something more. There has to be a better way to do this. So I took a bunch of courses, management courses, and ended up with a management company that was a little bit outside of the box as far as their thinking. They treated dentistry more as a business and were very structured. And as a result of that, I acquired an an associate who eventually became my partner. And uh, the practice became very, it was monitored very carefully. It was structured in a way that made business sense. So did that, as I said, for 38 years. And uh, I owned the majority of the practice. I owned 51% of the practice, which I then sold off in increments to my partner until I sold him the remainder of the practice and then continued in that practice as an independent contractor for an additional two years. Then my contract came to an end, and uh, that's when I started thinking about what's the next step for me. And so a couple of follow-up questions there. You said you practiced for 10 years and just were really not in a happy place with how things were going and sought out some help to figure out a better way to run the business side of your dental practice. What were some of the things that you learned there? I'm interested in that because that's more common today in 2022 than maybe it was 25 years ago, whenever you made that sort of decision to go that route to try to make your practice better. Right. 
we were really on the outside edge. Whenever I go to dental meetings, I would tell people what we're doing, and they thought I swallowed the, the Kool Aid. Uh, <laughs> but some of the things were not just flying by the seat of our pants, but structuring each day to goal. So we scheduled very carefully and we engineered the book so that it made sense. I didn't have to be in two places at once and I wasn't running around in a non-productive way. The schedule made sense from a dollars and cents standpoint. Interesting. Interesting. And that made the latter stage of your career a lot more rewarding. I would say so. And it allowed one of the structures of it was to arrive at a point of financial independence. Mm. That was a big part of their scope. And uh, I don't think I would have been as successful had I not had that structured approach to investments and how I ran the practice. It, it was profitable. So you transitioned, it sound like, in, in stages or pieces away from and out of your practice, selling, going from owning 51% of it to, I think you said, selling off well, no, I, I sold. I sold off a third of the practice after my associate was with me for five years. Okay. I sold uh, an additional percentage after seven years, but I retained fifty-one percent up until the time I sold the practice entirely. So, from a control standpoint, I still was the. I still had, I was the majority owner, but quite frankly, in the thirty-eight years we practiced together. I never used that 1% card. Uh, We always treated it as 50-50. If there was this decision to be made, he respected me and I respected him. So how would you evaluate your transition uh, on the sale of your practice? Was that, if you had to do it differently, would you do it any differently? Or kind of what were anything that you learned doing it that way? Well, I would certainly advise anyone who's selling their practice to make sure that their contracts are airtight. That's something that I think people may overlook. The smallest things can come back to bite you. So my advice would be get excellent dental advice and uh, make sure that it's fair to both parties, but make sure that in your exit, things are spelled out very clearly. So there's no questions. And when you say the contracts, which contracts specifically are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about uh, how long you're going to stay mm. beyond your the sale of the practice. What procedures can you do? What patients can you see? The covenant not to compete is quite important. You know, particularly if you if you want to continue to be able to practice as a dentist for a reasonable period of time. And so you made the decision that that's what you did want to do. You sold off 100% of your practice, but you continued on to work in that practice as an associate for an additional two years, correct? And Sean, my, my patients really, it made no difference to the patients. They had no idea that I'd sold the practice. It was business as usual. And everything from the, okay, now you go from being the boss to the employee. And you said that you had a very good working relationship with your partner who you sold to. It sounds like it was pretty smooth until the two years was up that you worked as an associate and you just decided to move on at that point. Well, you know, the, the dynamics, quite frankly, are different when you go from the owner who is writing the paycheck to just another employee. So it's different. It takes a transition and you don't have the same authority because you're not writing the checks. So you have to go into it with your eyes open. And that's certainly something that if anyone is out there who's 
interested in how to make that transition smoother, I'd be more than happy to tell them what my experience was. Well, and you're still practicing. You not an associate at your former practice, but you work a couple of days a week, I believe you said, uh, before we hit record with a different practice. That's correct. I work for, it's kind of ironic, but I'm working for an associate of mine who worked for me probably eight or 10 years ago. And he opened his own practice very successfully. And uh, when I, when my contract was coming to an end, he called me and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm really not sure. And he said, well, why don't you come and practice with me a couple of days a week? And so that was perfect. We already known each other. Our philosophies were the same. And uh, it's worked out quite nicely. How has your interest stayed as strong as it has all this time in, in clinical dentistry? I know some people are ready to to walk away when they're 50, and I'm not going to give your age away. I don't know your exact age, but right. uh, you know, if people do the math, I, I think they can assume that you're past the normal retirement age of 62 or 65. So I'm, I'm curious uh, how your clinical passion has stayed so strong so long. Right. I enjoy clinical dentistry. I still do. I'm not doing some of the more very involved procedures that I used to do. I'm leaving that to my associate. But uh, I still, I'm very, I love practice management. And uh, in fact, I'm lecturing on practice management, you know, part-time. And also I'm advising new residents and people who are just starting their practices, hopefully to allow them to avoid some of the pitfalls that I experienced. I think having that kind of a relationship with someone who's been there, done that, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I probably made as many mistakes as you could make, and hopefully I've learned from them and can prevent someone else from experiencing those those same things. I want to circle back to that, but before I do, I, I want to ask uh, and sort of close the loop on you still being able to practice past a certain age. You know, I, we all know dentists that uh, have physical limitations or feeling the physical effects of practicing clinical dentistry in their mm-hmm. 30s and 40s. How has physically, how have you held up? And I guess if you're still practicing, you must still feel pretty good day in and day out. Just good genes. No, <laughs> that's part of it. I think a, a lot of what shortens dentists' success is the stresses associated with dentistry, even non, non-clinical, probably mostly. Mm. And I think the fact that that's, those things have been removed have allowed me to practice dentistry in a much more relaxed fashion. And that's made a world of difference because I'm not, I don't have to do it. I don't have to be on the treadmill. I'm doing it because I love it. I love my patients. And I can look at it very unbiasedly as to what's the best way to approach. And I, I find it mentally stimulating also to look at cases and discuss them with my associate. That's interesting. So if I, I heard you correctly, you said that a lot of the physical pain sometimes isn't necessarily a direct result all the time of being bent over inside of a patient's mouth. A lot of times it's because of thinking about overhead and payroll and supplies and everything that goes into being a practice owner. Sure. And I'll tell you, I belong to several study groups. And the study groups where the members are dentists who've been practicing seasoned dentists, I hear the same thing. It's the stresses of, as you said, overhead, employees, regulation, government regulation, and uh, inflation, of course, now. All of these things, I think, tend to shorten the clinical life of a dentist. So the fact that those things have been removed from me has ex- allowed me to extend my clinical career. And as I said, I'm not under stress doing it two days a week. So I'm kind of doing what I want to do when I want to do it. 
That's interesting. And I want to go a little bit deeper there because that's such the the balance is, you know, on the one hand is the DSO model where a lot of that stuff is allegedly taken care of for you. Is there a way, a better way for private practice dentists to handle all those things in a way that allows the stress level to be lower? I know that's really broad, but I'm guessing you have some opinions on that. Well, we were kind of unusual. And I would say I was probably a dinosaur in terms of we were a fee-for-service practice. So we filed patients' insurance, but we were not tied to any insurance companies, PPOs or HMOs. And that was the relationship that we established with patients. And I still think relationships are key. But let's face it, the world we live in is different. And instead of patients now calling the office and saying, Dr. Prelak, my friend says you're a great dentist. You've been uh, her dentist for such and such a number of years. Now the first question is, do you accept my insurance? So it's become a financial insurance conversation. So I'm not sure how to get around that. It makes it more difficult. But what I will say is I think you need to set yourself aside a niche that you are providing quality dentistry, that you will charge a fair fee for a fair service, and that you intend uh, to have a long-term relationship with that patient and practice dentistry, it's going to be in their best interest. Trust is a huge issue. Shifting gears a little bit, you mentioned- uh, Did that answer the question, Sean? I, I, I don't know. What... Yeah, no, I think you, you pointed out some key things there, you know, focus on a niche, which <laughs> you're preaching to the choir there. Uh, I've done that with uh, within my career, but I, I think you hit on a couple of key points there. You did a great job. Thank you. You're welcome. You mentioned a few questions ago about reaching a point of financial independence from having to practice. That's something I talk to my clients a lot about as well. And getting to the point where you're continuing to practice clinically because you want to, not because you feel like you have to financially in order to continue to meet cash flow obligations of the business or meet cash flow obligations of your personal lifestyle. As much as you're willing to share, at what point did you sort of feel or know that you were financially independent from practicing clinically? Because obviously you've continued to practice well beyond that point. Right. Great question. I'll tell you a funny story. My our financial advisors, my wife and I tend to be relatively prudent. We live below our means, which I think is important. I agree. And we from a very early time, it was stressed to us how important it is to maximize 401ks, Roth IRAs, just to be prudent and observant of what we're doing with our money. And, uh, you know, let's face it, last couple of decades were very good for stock markets, so we benefited from that. But the story I was going to say is I used to, my accountant used to say, Jeff, if you can't kill it and eat it, you don't need it. So I used to go to the newsstand, and well, they had newsstands, and I would buy a magazine and read it and put it back. And I knew I had reached the point of, I guess, financial independence when my advisor said, Jeff, you can take the magazine home with you. <laughs> so I, at that point, I thought, I probably have arrived. <laughs> That's interesting that you had that light bulb moment. And I'm yes, curious like, about that, too, because there are people on your end of the spectrum that I meet with and deal with as well, where sometimes I want to tell them, you know, you can take Friday afternoons off at this point. You're you're right. you're doing okay. Do you have any regrets that you worked and kept your foot on the pedal a little too hard too long? No, not really. I think life is a balance. Life is a balance. And I think at the time, 
it was appropriate. My kids were in school and no, I, I think it was okay. I'm what I'm doing now is I'm I'm enjoying myself. And uh maybe I could have pulled back a, a couple of years earlier. Uh I didn't have to work. But quite frankly, I enjoyed being in the game. Interesting. So you still practice as an associate two days a week. You do so on your terms. And you also mentioned a little bit ago that you mentor dental students and young dentists as well. What do you find rewarding about that? And also, what do you try to teach them? What, do you, what are some of the lessons that you share with them that you think are most powerful for a young dentist? Right. I love teaching and I love being a coach, so to speak, uh, especially for dentists who are in their residency. I do some volunteer work. So I do come in contact with residents who are about to go out in the, into their careers. And the questions they ask, Sean, are very profound questions about what they should do with their lives. Uh, in fact, I wrote an article for the Georgia Dental Association, how the dental landscape has changed and what avenues are available. As I said, I took the entrepreneurial route, but I think there may be better ways to do it more efficient ways of doing it. So I enjoy coaching students and giving them what I hope is the benefit of my experience. As I said, even dentists who are in practice, relatively young dentists, I think there are ways of practicing more efficiently, more economically. You can spend a lot of money on PR that can get you nowhere. And so you have to allocate your spending in ways that are going to give you a good return on your investment. So I, I kind of look in those areas. What's what are the feedback that you get, or what is the feedback that you get from some of those young dentists about those those areas you just mentioned? Wow, I never considered that. Or what would you do? How would you handle this? Employee issues. Just having a good sense of what are your expenses in the office? Are you monitoring them? You'd be amazed if you if you ask some of the younger dentists what their overhead percentage is. And what they're being charged for supplies, they can't give you accurate answer. And to me, that's those are things you've got to look at. I probably didn't look at them either. If you don't monitor the percentage that you're paying for supplies, that's just one example. A difference of one or two percent savings can be the difference between being able to contribute to your 401k or not. Very good point. Good stuff. What have been the emotional implications of backing away, I guess I would call it, from full-time clinical dentistry and doing it more on your terms and also mentoring and just having some interests that are a little bit outside of dentistry as well? What has that transition been like for you? And this could be more general for people that are retiring or uh, slowing down or going part-time in whatever it is that they've applied their trade doing uh, over the last 30 or 40 years. Right. This is where I have to. Um give kudos to Laura Brenner with Lullabies. I found her on the internet and I really didn't have any structure as to how I was going to move forward. And I knew I had passions or hobbies, things that I like to do. So I really had to investigate what I wanted to do in terms of dentistry and what that would look like. As you've mentioned, I enjoy the mentoring. I enjoy the coaching. I enjoy writing about dentistry, practice management. But among my hobbies, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. I'm a car guy. I love automobiles, classics. 
you know, it's it's funny when you put vibes out there and you leave yourself open to what may be available, cosmic energy kind of comes to you. <laughs> it sounds corny, but all of a sudden, all of these opportunities started to present themselves. One of them being the opportunity to go to work for a local Porsche dealer in their customer relations department. And I said, I don't want to change tires. I don't want to change oil. They said, no, 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 no. You do public relations every day in your practice. We want to avail ourselves of your public relations knowledge. So that's what I'm doing. So it allows me to practice my profession, dentistry, and my passion, cars. That's so interesting. It's something I never thought of that how you speak and communicate sort of the quote unquote soft skills that you have to develop to be a successful dentist. You can be as good at clinical dentistry as you want to be, but if you can't communicate that in an effective way to a, to a patient, uh, it's going to hit your bottom line in a big way. That's a very transferable skill to dealing with people and creating a great client experience in something completely different, i.e. working in customer relations with Porsche. Right. You know what? I think a lot of times, People don't realize that their hobby can be a passion, which can translate into an extension of their life's work. Such a great point. And I read a quote this morning. It was something to the effect of, you know, if it, all it took was reading or talking about something, we would all be, if information enough was alone, we would all be billionaires and have <laughs> six-pack abs, right? So it takes, it takes action. <laughs> you have to... Dip your dip your toe in the water, put take the first step, start to explore things a little bit. And just in talking with you a little bit before we recorded the episode, you said that that was something that held you back for a period of time before you could start to explore it in a way that, that made sense for you. Right. I think sometimes we're afraid to take that step. I know I was. I'm kind of a type A personality. But sometimes you just have to sit back and take the time to see what's there. and. Uh, you know, I think we sometimes shortchange ourselves in not giving ourselves a chance to see what else is out there. And maybe that leads to the question I'm about to ask next. If if you could change anything about how you sort of sold your practice and transitioned to this next stage of, of your life, what would you change or what would you try to impart on uh, other people who are considering a similar path in the next five to 10 years? That's a great question. I think it's never too soon to start thinking about it. As I said, I, I guess I'm type A, and I want to know, the day I walk out of the office, what am I doing that Monday morning? I think, looking back, I should have been more relaxed about the process and not be as hung up on, I've got to find something on Monday. Things sometimes take some time. I think it was Henry Winkler who talked about what happened to him after Happy Days, and he just kind of did nothing for about five years until something found him. And that was writing children's books. So sometimes you have to leave the door open and let something find you. So the Fonz is a children's book author? I did not know that. Yes. Yes. Yep. Interesting. I knew he became a director eventually, but... Right. But he was dyslexic, believe it or not. And he wrote children's books with a character who was dyslexic. So he took his disability and turned it into a, he made lemonade out of lemons. That's awesome. I had never heard that story. Really interesting. 
Well, Dr. Jeff, it's been a, a fun conversation as we start to wind down a little bit and, and bring this to a landing. Is there anything we haven't hit on about your story, about your journey that you think would be important to communicate to the audience? As we talked about before, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has gone through these machinations. Anyone who's been in a career for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, what am I going to do when I grow up? I think we all have these things going through our heads. Now, some people are content to go out on their boat and sail into the sunset. That wasn't me. And I think there are a lot of people who want to know what's next, what's the next step. And I don't have all the answers. I would certainly love to share my experiences and my feelings, my emotions, and my experiences with other people, not necessarily dentists, but I think anyone who's in any profession or has done the same thing for a good number of years and wants to explore what else is out there. I think there's a good support group out there that form in being able to exchange ideas and just think about what do you think about this or should I pursue this or what's been your journey? I think there are a lot of other possibilities. I think it's fertile territory for further discussion. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. The name of the podcast is Dentists, Puns, and Money. Do you have a dental joke that you'd like to share? It's not a dental joke, if that's okay, but I thought it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind sure. of sick in a way, but it's cute. Two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He's not breathing, and his eyes are glazed. The other guy whips out his cell phone and calls 911. I think my friend is dead, he yells. What can I do? The operator says, calm down. First, let's make sure he's dead. There's a silence, then a shot. Back on the phone, the guy says, okay, now what? <laughs> Very sick. <laughs> oh, you got me. No, I don't know that anyone's cracked me up that much with their joke before. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jeff, uh, for people that uh, would like to get in touch with you and, and maybe just start a conversation with you, you said you're interested in, in helping people. What's the best way to get in touch? Um, they can use my email, which is Dr. Preluck, D-R-P-R-I-L-U-C-K, at AOL.com. Very simple. Dr. Preluck at AOL.com. Awesome. That is Dr. Jeff Preluck, dentist, mentor, and Porsche authority. Dr. Jeff, thank <laughs> you for... <laughs> thank well, you thank for you so much for the opportunity to, to do this. I, I think it's great what you're doing. And uh, I think you're onto something. Thank you, Dr. Jeff. I appreciate you being a guest on Dentist Puns and Money. You're welcome. Thanks for listening and following along. Are you a dentist nearing your retirement from clinical or have you already hung up your handpiece? Would you like to learn more about ways to reduce your taxes and generate income from your assets in retirement? Our affiliated firm, Dentist Exit Planning, might be able to help you with those two things. Schedule an initial consultation with us on our website. Our web address is DentistExit.com. There's no obligation for your initial consultation. Again, schedule that initial consultation at DentistExit.com. As for our disclosure, Dentist Exit Planning and Terrell Advisors is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. 
It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Dentist Exit Planning or Terrell Advisors. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell and his guests, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.